Hello, and welcome to Relevant Tones. I'm Seth Bosted, and today I have a couple of very special guests in the studio. Tim Munro and Michael McAfee from the Grammy-winning group 8th Blackbird. Hi, guys. Thanks for coming down today. Pleasure. Pleasure to be here. That was Zaka that we opened up with by Jennifer Higdon, which was a commissioned piece off of your CD, Strange Imaginary Animals, your first Grammy-winning CD. Why did you decide to work with Jennifer, and how did it come about? Well, uh, I think we were introduced to Jennifer's music first through another composer, a friend of ours, Joan Tower, when we were uh, working with her at the Norfolk Festival in Norfolk, uh, Connecticut. And uh, yeah, we got, a, we got a listen to Jennifer's stuff and fell in love with it and asked her to write for us. And she actually delivered Zaka uh, ahead of schedule and with a companion piece or, uh, called Zango Bandango. I guess she couldn't, she couldn't stop with just one piece, <laughs> so she wrote us a short encore as well. It's unusual enough for a composer to be on time, much less to... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she wrote us a piece in Zaka that is, she thinks captures the spirit of Eighth Blackbird, and that's why she actually called the piece Zaka, because the, the word Zaka she made up, and she defined it as being to zap, zip, and sock. I think that sounds right. I think I, I, think I have that correct. And she says, also, see Eighth Blackbird as if it was a dictionary entry. And so the piece she thinks captures the spirit of sort of exuberance, virtuosity. It explores a lot of different colors of the ensemble. As you can hear, the the flute and clarinet and the piano are doing lots of kind of extended technique mm-hmm. special effects, but all within a very funky, very engaging aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Well, let's have a listen to the whole piece. This is Zaka by Jennifer Higdon. Thank you. 
Jennifer Higdon's Zaka, commissioned and performed by 8th Blackbird, off of their CD, Strange Imaginary Animals. So what was that again? To zap, to... Zap, zip, and sock. Okay, I well, think I, I have that right. I think that's pretty audible in the piece. I like the uh, I like the idea of a composer coming up with a with a dictionary entry for <laughs> like for a piece too, of yeah. music. I like the idea that and I don't know if she did this, but in the score that she could have put them in like quotation marks, like from an old comic book. You know, zip. Uh, that's true. <laughs> that's well, I think great. the piece itself has quite a lot of that. Yeah, definitely. As you can hear, there yeah, are these yeah. there are these gestures that kind of jump out as if they were pow, right? Blam. Right, absolutely. Yeah, like an old Batman episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about the origin of the group. If you can talk about the instrumentation and uh, the name of the group and, and how all that came about. Sure. Well, we were all we formed while we were still students at the Oberlin Conservatory in Oberlin, Ohio. We were put together by the conductor of the contemporary music ensemble there, Tim Weiss. And uh, so we worked with him as our conductor for, I think, about a year, a year and a half or so, and eventually decided we wanted to enter a few competitions that required us to not use conductor. And we politely asked him if he would step down. And we, we then, it was really then that we became Eighth Blackbird as an unconducted ensemble. Yeah, and the origin of the instrumentation, as you mentioned, the instrumentation is known as Piero Plus, Mm -hmm. but why is it called that? So there was this piece that was written 100 years ago by Arnold Schoenberg called Piero Lunaire, and it's a song cycle. It's a strange song cycle. Instead of having a singer, it has someone who sort of recites. It's like a pitched recitation. And the instrumentation of that ensemble is flute, clarinet, violin, cello, and piano. Then about 50 years later, composers started to be thinking very much about little mini orchestras with lots of coloristic possibilities. And they looked back to this ensemble as being one that, that had strings and winds and piano, and they thought to add percussion to that would, would sort of sweeten the deal. Mm-hmm. And so that instrumentation then became very popular. And had Tim helped you with the name, or was that your... No, the name came a bit later. Matt Albert, our founding violinist, was also an English major while we were students at Oberlin. And around the time that we were entering these competitions, we needed to come up with a a name. And he was studying the poetry of Wallace Stevens, and particularly the poem 13 Ways of Looking at a Blackbird. And so he came in with with the, the name Eighth Blackbird, which sort of references the eighth stanza of the poem. Mm -hmm. And how does that read, Michael? Ah, Quite simply. (laughs) It reads, I know noble accents and lucid, inescapable rhythms, but I know too that the blackbird is involved in what I know. And there's something lovely about that. It's very evocative, that phrase, lucid, inescapable rhythms. Mm -hmm. But also there's a whimsical nature to it. There's like almost an amusing lightheartedness to it that Mm -hmm. I think for Matt captured what then the group really wanted to be the spirit of the ensemble. Mm -hmm. You know, we take ourselves seriously enough to play the crap out of this music to really, you know, give a lot of intensity to it and and really play, bring it to an audience, but also not to think of it as being frowny, serious music where we're all wearing black and scowling at the audience. Oh, well, no, not looking at the audience at all. Mm -hmm creating a f- not not just a fifth wall, but like an, a fifth electric fence between mm-hmm. the, um, <laughs> no, the ensemble and the, the audience. So to try and break that down, that was an important thing. And speaking of Matt, his father wrote a piece for you that we're going to play next, which was pretty important to the group's development. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was really our first commission. 
And by commission back then, we of course had no money to pay a composer. So in exchange for writing it, we promised him that we would perform it many times. And in, case, in fact, we're still performing. We're it still now. performing it now, sixteen years later. And the the what you guys are going to hear is the movement from that piece, which is based on the stanza which gives the group its name. Oh, is great. that complicated enough? <laughs> so you're going to hear the eighth movement, which relates to the eighth stanza sure. of 13 Ways of Looking at a Blackbird. Great. Let's listen to 13 Ways by Thomas Albert. I know noble accents and lucid, inescapable rhythms. But I know, too, that the blackbird is involved in what I know. <laughs> That was movement number eight of 13 Ways by composer Thomas Albert, performed for us by Grammy-winning ensemble Eighth Blackbird, two of whom are with us today in the studio. And we're going to talk now about a CD that um, you recorded called Fred, and we're going to play a little bit of that. But can you tell us about how this collaboration came about with the composer and about the CD? Fred Shevsky is a sort of giant of 20th century experimental music. He has written music in so many different genres and in many different sort of... um, up with many different approaches. He started off as this wild improvisatory pianist who then became an incredibly passionate political, um, uh, someone who's very passionately interested in politics and a real lefty. 
and a lot of his music really represents his political passions. And somehow he makes those into compelling pieces of music. I'm personally not at all interested really in political music per se, but he uses the politics somehow to make compelling musical statements that are just incredibly powerful. And so I think we're going to listen to Les Moutons de Panurge. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, the idea of Les Moutons de Panurge, which is just simply translated as the Sheep of Panurge, the ensemble is challenged to play in perfect and exact unison throughout the piece. Okay. But Fred has created a challenge that is impossible. So it's actually not possible to play the piece as he intends it. But his intention is that we screw up. Okay. And when you screw up in the piece, that is when the piece begins in some ways. That is when you split off. And in Fred's words, you have to insist on your own rightness. So even though you've split off from the rest of the group, you are still correct. And so the political idea behind this is that we as human beings should not simply be sheep that Mm -hmm. follow the leader Mm -hmm. mindlessly. Is it pretty easy to hear on the recording, just out of curiosity, when someone splits (laughs) off? Absolutely. (laughs) Okay, I'm I'm, I'm really intrigued. (laughs) Uh, Let's have a listen to um, Les Moutons de Panurge. Thank you. 
Les Moutons du Panurge by Frederick Chevsky, performed by Eighth Blackbird. And uh, so the piece is really tightly constructed. There's a, like a mathematical basis to it, which I think is somewhat audible. But um, could you just tell us a little bit about the, the construction of the piece? Yeah, sure. So it's a process piece, which means that there are a set of rules that you're instructed to follow. Basically, we have a 65-note melody, and we start by playing the first note. Then we start by playing the first and second notes, then the first, second, third, first, second, third, fourth, and so on and so on and so on until we get all 65 notes of the melody laid down. When we reach the 65th note, we play through the entire thing once more, and then we start lopping off notes from the beginning. So we play 2 to 65, 3 to 65, 4 to 65, until eventually we get to the end and everyone is playing the last note. But as Tim mentioned earlier, this is, to do this live is impossible as a group. So eventually, when you do split off, everybody at that moment has set their own destiny and it's going to end in a different place. So when you reach that last note, you're instructed to sustain it until the rest of the ensemble finishes, which is what you heard on that performance. And in performance, this must be, I mean, you guys are, are uh, is there a visible look of concentration on everyone's faces? <laughs> is everyone, I mean, what, it must be a very intense performance. Yes, it sure is. Uh, it's by far the hardest piece I've ever had to play in Eighth Blackbird. Uh, we perform the piece from memory and trying to concentrate so not to get off from one another. And then when you get off from everyone else, trying to insist on what you have creates an, a certain intensity. Also, we perform the piece huddled around the piano. And all of this goes to communicate to an audience a certain intensity and a kind of will they or won't they make it mm -hmm. edge of the seatness mm -hmm. that I think is very engaging. Absolutely. I remember personally years ago I heard you guys actually here on WFMT and um, you were playing by memory and I just thought that's unbelievable. <laughs> and I don't remember what the music was. But... It doesn't communicate quite so intensely over the radio as yeah. it was. But one of the great things is the visual aspect also, which is that um, you remove something of the wall between the audience and the performers and instead of staring at the music stands, we can, as performers, look at each other much mm -hmm. more. We can look out at the audience. We can bring them into the experience more. We've also, in the last 10 years, started more and more to work with theatre, dance, and other art forms in order to create more visually engaging experiences on stage. So a choreographer will come in and actually literally work with us mm -hmm. in 
in terms of choreographing our stage movements. Now, mm-hmm. we're not dancers. There's no dancing no, no, involved. Yeah. We're, in, in fact, quite terrifying. Instead of standing still, you, you, can, you can move around. You can express the, the, the piece by changing your position on the stage relative to each other. And... Yeah, and we, we're conscious of trying not to add another layer that is unrelated to the music, but instead to simply visually give a visual uh, interpretive interpretation of exactly what is in the music. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Relevant Tones, a show that features contemporary composers. Today, my guests in the studio are Tim Monroe and Michael McAfee of the Grammy-winning group Eighth Blackbird. Um, we'll turn now to a recording of um, the Double Sextet by Steve Reich. And can you tell us, this is a commission, an Eighth Blackbird commission, right? Yes, it was an, a commission that took many, many years of nudging on our, our end, nudging Steve Reich to agree to finally write for us. I can't remember how many years we were pushing him to do it, but it was... It was at least five or six. I think at least five years. Yeah, and so um, another composer who got us the materials well ahead of the deadline, (laughs) uh, (laughs) which is fantastic. And it's become one uh, one of our favorite pieces to play, certainly not only live ourselves with the pre-recorded backing track, but we've now started performing it much more with other live musicians. I guess I can explain that the piece is written for double sextet, two identical eighth blackbird instrumentation sextets. So the piece was conceived as are many of Steve's pieces to be performed alongside a taped or recorded version. And that's how we performed it for the first, I would say, season or so. And when we have the opportunity to perform it with other live musicians, I think it's now become our preferred way to do it because mm-hmm. the, the, the amount of energy you get by performing with other musicians instead of just a tape is incomparable. And then we were lucky enough in 2009, the work was awarded a Pulitzer Prize for Music, which is actually the first Pulitzer Prize that Steve Reich has been awarded. Strange, given the fact that he was such an elder statesman already and had written so many masterworks. And Double Sextet is a truly wonderful piece, but in many ways, this was a lovely thing because it acknowledged Steve Reich's lifelong contribution mm-hmm. to music. So we were, we were really excited to be a small part of that. Uh, well, let's, let's have a listen to some of this. We won't be able to listen to the whole thing because it's a pretty long piece. Um, but let's listen to an excerpt of Double Sextet by Steve Reich. Thank you. 
An excerpt of Double Sex Tet by Steve Reich, performed for us by Eighth Blackbird. Well, I want to play a, a really interesting piece now. Um, this is the concerto that Jennifer Higdon wrote for you that was commissioned by you. And this performance is with the six of you performing with the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra. And does the concerto feature all six of you equally, or how, how did that work? It does, actually. Jennifer has crafted a really beautiful piece. It features us as a sextet soloist most of the time, but she has written individual instrumental solos for all of us at different times during the concerto. So the opening of the concerto is a particularly mysterious and um, magical moment. Jennifer chose to write for all six of us performing inside the piano, bowing the strings of the piano, plucking the strings of the piano, tapping with credit cards and with percussion mallets to create a sort of otherworldly super instrument. One reason she decided to do that was that because there was not going to be enough space on stage for us to do any sort of like stage movement or choreography, there would be a sort of dramatic element, a theatrical element in us all going to the piano at the beginning of the piece and then returning back to the piano at various times throughout the piece. Um, And it yields just the most, as I say, otherworldly beginning to the piece.
It's hard to fade down this fantastic music, but I do want to get to 8th Blackbird's latest Grammy-winning release. We just heard the opening of Jennifer Higgins' Concerto for Sextet and Orchestra, On a Wire, uh, performed there with the Atlanta Symphony. So uh, your latest disc, Lonely Motel, um, just won a Grammy. Uh, it was your second Grammy. Uh, it's very, very exciting. And um, hopefully there will be many, many more in your future. <laughs> um, we were shocked to get the second one. Oh, oh, how so? I figured that they were probably done with us by now. <laughs> you know? They thought, oh, we, we'll give these cute little, these cute little funny kids who play, the, who play the weird music. We'll give them one and then, and then we'll be done. <laughs> and this year you actually got to go out to uh, the, the ceremony, right? We did. It was a lot of fun, actually, to be out there. And the, the level of energy at an event like that is af- it's impossible to quantify. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, it was a really great experience for all of us, I think. My favorite part was coming off the red carpet. There is this little gathering of like the general public who who like there's like raked seating for them to stand and watch people as they go past. And because it was the pre awards telecast, which is all the the awards that nobody knows anything about, really, they were still just screaming and <laughs> cheering for all of the nominees who walked past, even though they didn't know who at all who they were. (laughs) So that was, I mean, it's really, it's an amazing positive energy (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. And the disc is called Lonely Motel. It's music of Stephen Mackey. Um, How did this collaboration come about? This is another really, really long process. It was like 10 years, I I think, think, from start to finish. We we started getting to know Steve's work uh, with a piece called Indigenous Instruments. I wish we could Which play that. Which is a that, wonderful, actually. wild yeah, it piece. it is a wonderful piece. And that piece is yeah, on our previous Grammy-winning album, Strange Imaginary Animals. In fact, that's the piece that gives the, tit- gives the CD its title. Okay. Because there is a section of the piece where a, a performer is instructed to play as if moaning like a strange or the moaning of a strange imaginary mm-hmm. animal. Okay. And there is this amazing sense of color and play in Steve's music that – and. Just immaculate craft Mm -hmm. that we really wanted to work with him again, Mm -hmm. and so he has worked a long time with Rindy Eckert, who's a a a writer, an actor, a singer, a performer, a director. I mean, sort of very broad ranging interests. And he and Steve have worked together a number of times. And Steve was really interested in working with Rindy on a project with us, and so they created this work that's part song cycle, part prog rock opera, part work of immaculate detailed chamber music. Um, It has these like full-on belting songs as well as music of just immaculate calm. Is there a narration that runs through the the disc? There isn't a narration that runs through the disc. The show itself that gave birth to the album was called Slide. And Slide is the has a sort of framing story, which is that of a lovelorn psychologist who's looking back through his life and thinking nostalgically about what could have been. And it's about perception and reality and how, you know, there's the metaphor of a slide, a blurry slide coming into focus. And there is a set, there is like a play with blurriness and sharpness in the music and in the text and in the story. Um, but we decided to do sort of what is... I guess you could consider to be a an original cast recording for the CD. And so we've removed almost all of the narration and it becomes just kind of a, a really diverse and almost roller coaster ride of a song cycle. 
where we have time to listen to one track from 8th Blackbird's Lonely Motel featuring the music of composer Steve Mackey. Here's Addiction. One too many photographs One too many slides And your eyes fall out of focus One too many numbered photographs One too many recorded reactions One more turn of the page And you slide into addiction One too many unchecked fantasies One too many unchallenged assumptions One too many unexamined beliefs And you slide into addiction One too many thoughtless repetitions One too many slogans One too many cliches And you slide into addiction Slide into addiction One too many foolish acts of bravery, of bravery. And one too many returnings of heroic deeds with one too many humble poses. One too many humble poses. And you slow. 
Stephen Mackey's Addiction, performed by 8th Blackbird from the group's second Grammy-winning CD, Lonely Motel. Tim, Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest. Pleasure. Continued success to 8th Blackbird. For more information about that disc or for upcoming shows, check them out on their website at 8thblackbird.org. Relevant Tones is produced by Jesse McCorders at WFMT, with special thanks to Greg Cameron, Peter Worf, and Steve Robinson. For more information about the program and the artists we've featured, you can find us on Facebook or visit our website at relevanttones.com. This weekly series is made possible by the generous support of Grobner Capital Management, Carol Joins and Abby O'Neill, and the listener supporters of WFMT. I'm your host, Seth Bostead, and thank you very much for listening.